Good evening. Welcome to our evening service. Great to be able to gather again. And what I enjoy about this time of year is it's not dark outside when we come and gather together. Kirk, good to have Kirk with us this evening. If you would come now, please drive. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I'll be reading from verse 3 to verse 13. Exodus chapter 12, 3 to 13. Talking about the Passover tonight. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the Lord, for the lamb. Verse five, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the Israel of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it, you shall burn until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And the Passover is one of those things that that, uh, we read. and, And as we grow in grace, we look at from time to time. And it's my sincere prayer that... uh, all of us, when we're looking through scripture and we're looking back at something that we looked at before, that God will open our eyes. And, and uh, uh, if our heart is desiring to know and understand the meanings of scripture and the connections between different parts of scripture, then that's, that's my prayer that you won't give up, that, you, that we keep talking about these things, talking about different passages so that a proper understanding is promoted. And that's, that's certainly my goal. And I, and I hope that each of you enjoys the victories in the Christian life as the lights come on and you're able to see and understand from spending time in passages like this. So that's my sincere prayer for you. Uh, let's bow our heads together. Father, with great joy, we come to your house again. And this Sunday evening, Lord, we desire that you would teach us about the Passover, about the significance of blood and about our gospel and how the gospel is, is uh, um, foreshadowed by these things. Help us especially to understand the significance of blood and how it relates to these ceremonies. Father, we thank you that your word 
is complete. But Lord, we know that it, it, uh, it takes readings uh, and it takes different, uh, um, it takes time for the various pieces of it and how they relate to become apparent to us. But Lord, we know that you reward the heart that searches, that diligently seeks to understand the meaning of your word. And you bless us with the victory of understanding. And as time goes on, Lord, we realize that the, that your word is, is a treasure that we can open up and study and, and learn. And the process is a lifelong process. And we thank you, Lord, that you, you bless us that way by, by opening our eyes. And so tonight, as we look at these various doctrines, we pray that, uh, that we might come uh, yielded with teachable hearts, Lord, and patiently look at these doctrines again and, uh, and find out what your, your uh, Holy Spirit would have us to know about these, these things, what they teach us about the gospel, what they teach us about Jesus Christ. And all the time, Lord, we, we learn about your great love for us, the love that drew salvation's plan. So grant us teachable hearts, Lord, as we come um, and focus, Lord. Please, Lord, let us shut out the world and, and its, uh, its trivialities that for an hour tonight we might look at your word and be blessed by it. And Father, we ask that uh, through, throughout this evening that you would be pleased with us in our offering of praise and as we study your, your word and as we praise your great name. We do want your name exalted in our midst, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Kirk, the Lord bless as you open the word. I haven't been flipping the slides. Today's message is called the Passover, the blood and the gospel. And I was thinking when a new person comes into our church family and they have a seat here, that's quite a culture shock that they're exposed to. And like Raelle was saying, there are so many songs that we sing that talk about the blood and being washed in the blood and cleansed in the blood. And if someone is not used to that culture, then it really would be a mess, wouldn't it? To be, you know, this picture of blood. And so it's important for us to, to uh, review the significance of blood. And especially in these three areas, what I would like to do tonight, if I'm successful as the, the spirit uh, enables me, is to look at the mechanics of the Passover, what was required of the people um, before they were dislodged from Egypt and released into the, uh, the, uh, the wilderness. And we'll just go over the mechanics of it and what was done. Then I would like to take a few minutes to look at the significance of blood. And uh, not in a general sense, but I'm just confining the scope of it to the way that it's used in the Passover. And then I want you to remember that because we're going to be talking about the gospel. All roads lead to the gospel. And when, when blood is used ceremonially in something like the Passover, in a way that's specifically dictated by God, we, we need to look at the meaning of the blood and how it applies to the gospel. And so I, I pray that we, we uh, are, are uh, going to learn tonight and uh, that, uh, that you pick up something perhaps new. But uh, let's, uh, let's pray together and then we'll, uh, we'll begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your great compassion, you reach down to us 
and having provided a perfect substitutionary sacrifice for us, you secured salvation for your people. The uniqueness of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and him dying in our place, and at the same time meeting the righteous requirement of the law, meant that his blood was effective in purchasing for us eternal life. And not only that, in satisfying you forever for the offense of our sin. And so, Lord, we, we rejoice that you are no longer angry with those who are trusting in the finished work of your son. And it's in his name that we come tonight to examine these things. Please teach us the meaning of blood. Please teach us what uh, the relationship is between the Passover and, and the gospel and Calvary. Help us, Lord, to, to, uh, to be blessed in the learning of these things and help us, Lord, to give you all the glory for what you have done so, so mightily on Calvary. And so, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've, if you've read the, uh, the Old Testament narrative, starting in the, in the book of Genesis, and uh, we see that Joseph has brought the rest of his family to Egypt, and then we turn the page and, and we go to, uh, into Exodus, and we see that uh, the picture changes really quite quickly. The opening chapters of Exodus begin to describe uh, that several hundred years have passed and a new Pharaoh that did not know Joseph is now in power. And so we read about uh, Israel's decline into slavery. And this subjection was a grievous thing. It was something that caused the people to cry out to God. And they cried out because of Egypt's heavy hand in, 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 uh, in the oppression of God's people. And we read about God raising up Moses to deliver his people. And we read about Moses going out at the age of, of 40 and uh, killing an Egyptian and hiding them in the sand. In the sand. And, and Moses realizes that he has to work according to God's plan. And so he takes another 40 years in the wilderness to be prepared by God. And uh, when he returned to Egypt, he returned as God's man to lead the people out of Egypt and uh, into the promised land. And, um, and what happened in Egypt is something that we, uh, we, we cover in Sunday school class, the 10 plagues that decimated the country. Uh, and, uh, in a, a remarkable display of awesome power and God ravaging the country of Egypt. Even Pharaoh's own people said, can't you see that this land has been destroyed? Will you not let the people go? But we also read that Pharaoh hardened his heart and that God hardened Pharaoh's heart as well. God's purpose was to display his great power and his mighty hand. And so after nine of these plagues that we read about, Egypt has been destroyed. Pharaoh's heart remained hard and he refused to let the people go. Now it's interesting as we're talking about the death of the firstborn, that that was really the first plague that Pharaoh heard about back when Moses first confronted Pharaoh. 
Um, God instructed Moses to prepare for this last plague, which would be the most devastating of all. And it's the death of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn son. And the way that, uh, that God instructed Moses to prepare for this plague, and it's the only one that had that, this preparation. It was the last plague as well. The people had all had a front row seat to see how Egypt had suffered under these various plagues. And, uh, and the country was devastated. So God instructed Moses to prepare for, for the, uh, this last plague. And he instructed them as follows. He told them to take uh, a, a small animal, either the sheep or, or, or a goat, on the 10th day of the first month, they were to select, select for themselves a male, a yearling, without defect, and one per household. And if the lamb was too much for one household to eat, they were to get together for the purpose of the, the uh, Passover observance. And so the neighbors would come over and and add to your number. And when you have enough where you can uh, share a sacrifice, then you do that. The idea is to not uh, uh, not have too much. You want to uh, um, have enough there. So they could share it with another household. So that lamb or that goat that was taken into the household or set aside on the 10th day, on the 14th day, they were to take and sacrifice that animal. And they did it by slicing the throat and then collecting the blood that was shed by, by that wounded animal. And then the blood they were to apply to the doorposts and the lintel of the, the, the entrances of their, their dwellings where they would eat the meal. The doorpost would be on the side and the lintel would be the piece on top. And so the whole idea was that you had the, the doorpost and the lintel painted uh, by impact with a hyssop. And uh, so they dip it in the hyssop and strike the, uh, the sides of the door frame and the lintel above. And uh, we're also told that this lamb was to be roasted and eaten that night in haste for the people would be driven out of the land in short notice. So they were to have the staff in their hand, they were to have their sandals on and to eat the Passover meal in haste. And, and as we, we read they were in such haste that they didn't have time to, uh, for the bread to rise, etc. So they took the kneading troughs with them. And uh, uh, let me read the, uh, the last part of um, this account here. Um, I, I read from uh, Exodus 12, 3 to 13. I'd like to read now 21 to 24 that has some more details. So Exodus 12, verse 21 Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel, And on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And so we have some clear, unusual instructions that God has given the nation 
And uh, did I cover that? I did. Okay. And so we're going to talk about the use of, of blood in the Passover now and a few other things concerning the use of blood. Some people pass out at the sight of blood. And uh, it's not something that I've, that I've encountered, but I know that some people are, they're, they're really, is, what do you call it? You get the heebie-jeebies when they're around blood. They, they just can't stand the sight of it. And uh, well, the blood is the essence of life, isn't it? It's, we have blood flowing through our veins and the connection between the blood and life is, is really quite obvious. You know, for, for any creature, the blood represents uh, life. And uh, you might recall in, uh, sorry, in Genesis 9, verse 4, after the flood, uh, we learn of the prohibition of eating blood. Um, Genesis 9, 4, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And so uh, that was was a a new... uh, a law that was imposed after the flood. So the, so the uh, blood can be a sign, but it can also be a witness. And do you remember Cain and Abel? And Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel. And then we read in Genesis 4.10, and he said, what have you done? This is God coming up to Cain, asking him to give account. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so here we see blood as a witness. It's a witness as to, to, to the, uh, uh, the unjust death of Abel. So Abel's blood is crying out as a witness. And blood can also, uh, um, when you think of it as a sign, you can think of it either as a sign or a witness. Both words kind of convey what it's supposed to be. And generally speaking, when when we talk about biblical doctrines, they're they're spiritual in nature, and so so God uses a, a series of uh, object lessons to communicate the truths that He wants us to understand. But we're physical people, right? And uh, I mentioned this this morning because of the similar themes, and uh, what we can take in in our five senses, we're fine with. But as soon as we need, we we want to grasp uh, principles that don't deal with the physical. Then we need clever ways of learning those things, and God knows that. So God talks about Himself as a person. He uses anthropomorphisms and um, and, and other devices to to uh, communicate different things to us. And what what is communicated by the blood here is is very important. We can't get stuck on this red liquid, even though that's what it is. But its connection to life is vital. And in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's, it's the most vital thing. And so um, now Christ lived without sin. So the blood of Christ is, is a witness of a different thing. It's a witness of his righteous life, his righteous life. Now, remember that just, just as we were, we were born of woman, uh, born under the law. Christ was born of a woman and born uh, under the law as well. So that he had exactly the same conditions to live his life as we do. We, he had obedience to, to the, uh, uh, the requirements of the covenant. 
which is defined in the 10 words or the 10 commandments. And that's how righteousness is defined. Now, Christ in his, in his uh, 33 year life, he lived in such a way that he violated none of those 10 commandments. He met the letter and the spirit of those 10 commandments and lived in such a way that it was not violated. And so in a sense where, where we have uh, the comparisons between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ, we have Adam and we're in there with Adam as the disobedient son. We, uh, we have opportunities every waking moment to live in conformity to God's law. And yet we rationalize and we, we trivialize and, and we uh, somehow justify us taking and sinning in the light. And that's really what characterizes our life. And when we're faced with that, then, then we repent and, and the Lord trains our hearts to righteousness. But we're not born that way. And we can see that the, uh, the sin problem with, with, uh, with man is something that presents itself even before a child can speak. You, you, can, you can see evidence of, of that fallen nature in the things that they do. And so parents have their hands full right from early on in, uh, in helping to, to, to lead their, their child in walking the, a righteous path. Um, but Christ lived without sin. Uh, the blood of Christ is significant because it's a witness to his righteous life. And this righteous life is the reason that the Lord Jesus Christ is, was, was qualified to be our savior because he met the righteous requirement of the Old Testament completely without violating it at all. And, uh, and we know how difficult it is for us to, to, to live in, in God's strength to, to obedience. But he, he, he lived it out in such a way that it made perfect satisfaction. And so we, when we look at Christ and his satisfaction, we understand it to be a propitiation for us. And propitiation means satisfaction or a covering. So because of the righteousness of Christ's life, who lived and died under the law in perfect conformity to it, if we're trusting in his substitution for us, knowing that God is satisfied with, with the life of Christ, it's that satisfaction that is applied to us. And God is no longer angry with us because of the offense of our sin. So we were at one time uh, sons of disobedience, but we were called into God's light. And because of faith, we have been called into God's family and our hearts have been changed by the work of regeneration in us. We're different people. But propitiation is the thing. We should be thinking about the blood as representing Christ's righteous life. What's the importance of the righteous life? It met the righteous requirement of the Old Testament. Therefore, Christ was fitted perfectly to pay the price for our sin and make satisfaction for us. And now, if we, if we, if we know scripture, we know now that the way to, uh, into the, the Holy of Holies has been torn and, and separated through that veil, which is the body of Christ. We now have access into the Holy of Holies by faith because we are uniquely blessed by being peop the people of God. We are co-heirs with Christ of all things that are, are, are spoken of as being covenant blessings. Okay, Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so in the Old Testament, this red liquid was spread on everything. It was, it was, 
It was splashed on people. It was splashed on altars. Um, It was mixed with water and cleansing rituals and sprinkled on things. Uh, It was sprinkled on the the items of furniture in in the uh, in the temple and in the tabernacle to uh, uh, to atone for it. Um, Blood was required when a covenant was cut, and we talked about that a little bit this morning in Genesis chapter 15, where the animals were cut and separated. And then God made himself visible in the form of a, 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 a flaming oven and a firebrand, I guess, and it moved between the pieces. No remission of sins. Blood was required to seal a covenant. And, and even at Mount Sinai, we can, we can read about that. Uh, Moses sprinkled the blood on the people. And it must have been quite a thing. They, uh, animals were sacrificed in the Old Testament and every blood sacrifice was one that typed Christ. So it looked forward to the efficacy, the saving efficacy of Christ's blood, which alone could save. But because Christ didn't die until after the Old Testament, all of these animals were by God's design uh, to be a foreshadowing of those things that would be perfected in Christ when Christ came. Okay, so blood was required whenever a covenant is cut. And, and you may remember if uh, uh, at the end of the book of Matthew, when, when Jesus was, was uh, initiating the, the, uh, the Lord's table, uh, he called his own blood the blood of the covenant. Remember, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so hopefully it's kind of coming together here too. These are, these principles are, are, they go all through scripture. And so uh, um, it's, you're, you're not hearing about these things for the first time. I know that for sure. Okay. At Passover, it was not sufficient only to offer the sacrifice. So the lamb or the goat was killed. Its blood was collected. Um, The shed blood needed to be applied to be effective. And, um, and it's an unusual set of instructions that God gave. You know, one might well ask, well, why do we paint our houses with this blood? What's the purpose of that? You know, it's, uh, um, but we'll get back to that. So the blood was applied to the doorposts and the lintel with hyssop, as we described. And when that blood was seen on the door frame, then we know what God did because he told them what he would do and he did it. The judgment of God passed over the household that was so marked, sparing the firstborn son. And if no blood was seen on the doorframe, the firstborn son died. And so that's how the plague was carried out. The, uh, the, the angel uh, moved over the uh, Egypt. And if that blood was not seen on the entrance of the house, then the firstborn son in that house died. And this was the 10th plague. And this is how it came. And when the, the firstborn sons were discovered dead, that's when the cry went, went up from Egypt. And Egypt said, get rid of Israel. Push them out. We want them to go now. Give them your gold. Give them your silver. Give them your precious stones. Just make sure that they go and they go now. And so that's, that's the that's the panic and that's, that's the urgency with which they left. Remember when they ate, they ate with their staff in their hand and they ate with their sandals on their feet and uh, getting ready for this. And that's what, that's what happened. 
So the blood needs to be applied to be effective. And, and if we think about that, um, the, uh, the lamb could be sacrificed, but if that blood is not applied to the door, then it's as if the lamb wasn't sacrificed. And so we have to follow what God's instructions are. They might be unusual for us. We might question them, but we need to do exactly what God uh, commanded his people. Okay, so we've talked about the Passover and what it involves. We've talked a little bit about blood and its significance. Uh, No remission of sins without blood. The blood being a witness of Christ's perfections, his, his perfect life. And uh, we talked a little bit about blood and water used for cleansing rituals and the significance of that. Lastly, we're going to talk about the gospel. So in the Passover, the sacrifice of the lamb is killed. And as I said, the blood is applied to the doorframe and it becomes effective as a witness. And this time in the Passover, what the witness was, was that God followed, the people followed God's instructions. They, they believed the instructions that, that Moses gave them on God's behalf. They said, okay, we need to take an animal. We need to sacrifice it. We need to apply the blood. And, and, so, and so they did it. And then God was good for his part because when, when he saw the blood, the firstborn son is passed over by the destroyer. And in this case, being passed over is a good thing because the firstborn son uh, doesn't die. And so um, now the blood being applied to the doorframe proves that the people followed God's command. And, and I talked about following these instructions because God's instructions can seem bizarre. They can seem unusual. And I have a couple of examples of that just to kind of make my point here. The first is the bronze serpent. November or uh, Numbers 21, 8 to 9. Uh, you might recall that the fiery serpents or poisonous snakes were biting people and in the desert. And, and God told Moses, uh, it's really two verses is all that, that you need to know here. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And so again, we could, we could waste time saying, well, Lord, why do you want us to, to, to make a bronze servant put on the pole? Why, does, why, why do we need to have it on a pole? Look at the bronze serpent and live. And, and when you've got snake venom in your veins and you, 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 you know that you're getting uh, a little bit uh, dizzy, you know, you know that Moses said, if you look at this serpent, then, then the disease will leave you. And so if you look in faith, then that's when the disease left. And uh, now another example of that is Naaman the Syrian, an unusual set of instructions. Uh, Word got out that there was a prophet in Israel and uh, a prophet who could heal. And so Naaman was born a Syrian. uh, uh, I don't know if he was probably born a Syrian as well, but he was born uh, uh, as a a leper. And uh, when... uh, when they found that there was this man in, in Israel who could heal, then uh, Naaman came with gifts. The story is found in 2 Kings 5 and verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. So the man goes to see Elisha. And in your mind's eye, you could see a man standing at the gate, you know, with his retinue and all the camels loaded with spices and gifts. 
And he doesn't go in. He sends a messenger. And, uh, but Eli- Elisha sends word to him, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. And so if we're naming the Syrian, we're thinking now, you're telling me to go and wash in the Jordan seven times when we have beautiful water back at home. And I, I won't read the rest of it, but his servant said to him, don't you think you should at least go and try what he says? You know, he's not asking you to go and on a big quest or anything, just, just to obey, go and wash seven times. And you know the story, Naaman went and washed and his skin came like a little child's who was perfectly healed because he obeyed God. And, and so we see that some of these uh, instructions may not make sense to us at the time, but it's, it's no time to question God. No time is a time to question God. And, uh, for, and God, of course, honors those who, who, uh, who believe him and do what he says. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says that Christ is our Passover. And that's the connection that we have in very plain language between the gospel and the Passover observance of, of uh, Exodus 12. Christ is our Passover. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Now, our gospel in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you guys know why I'm reading that. I explained that before. In our gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ is the substitute for the guilty sinner, for the disobedient son. We're the ones who failed. Adam failed. We inherited his failure and we confirmed it by our own behavior. The Lord Jesus Christ was the obedient son. He met the righteous requirement of uh, the Ten Commandments and the, the Mosaic Covenant. And um, because of that, his, his blood has an efficacy to save us. So the Lord Jesus Christ was killed on Calvary's cross for us. And when a person believes, and, and this is, this is the, the symbolism and, and the connection here, the shed blood is applied figuratively to the heart witnessing the perfect rejection or perfect. What did I say? <laughs> His perfect righteousness. God sees the, uh, the saving efficacy of Christ's blood because of his perfect life. And uh, we can think of, uh, uh, well, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so th- the blood of Christ is applied figuratively to the heart. And so that's, and, and it's figurative here because it's typed in, in, in the Passover. And, but it, what it does is it suggests to us that, that uh, once we trust in Christ, that Christ's blood needs to be applied for us. And I'll explain the, that a little bit in a little bit more uh, uh, detail there. And God sees the sign of Christ's propitiating blood and the believer is spared. And so that's the effect of it. God saves. And the thing is that we, 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 will, we will live to see that. We, we know that our, our hearts are changed while we're in the flesh here, but we will ultimately see the salvation that God has provided. And on all of the, all of the not yet's of our salvation will come to fruition 
at the end of the age. And we'll see that play out according to uh, what the Bible describes. Now, there are a few other interesting connections between the Passover and Calvary. And one of them, I don't know if it was in our reading, but uh, I don't know if I read the, that passage. Exodus twelve forty six talks about the bones not being broken. I don't think I mentioned that before. And, and we know that Christ, his bones were not broken as well. And in the telling of the gospels, they do make reference to, to that Passover lamb whose bones were not broken. John nineteen thirty six, 36, uh, Exodus 12. I can read the, uh, the passages. Exodus twelve forty six says, In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. John nineteen thirty six says, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And so we have a, a nice neat tie-in here relating the gospel to the Passover. And when I selected the hymns for today, I selected hymn 63. If you want to take and look in the, in the hymn book, I'm going to read a few of the words here. It's uh, the, the same way that you did when you, when you were up here because you see uh, just the relevance and the connection. Glory to his name uh, by Elisha Hoffman. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There, there to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. And so it's, it's retelling uh, the important point to remember about, about the efficacy of Christ's blood and the fact that it needs to be applied. Now, David in, uh, in Psalm 51, uh, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, and uh, Nathan, the prophet, confronted him. Uh, he immediately acknowledged his sin. And then we have the beautiful fruit of that repentance, which was the writing of this beautiful psalm, Psalm 51, Psalm of Repentance. David is deeply convicted over his sin with Bathsheba, knowing that he offended God personally. Psalm 51:7, David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What is David saying here? Exodus 12:22, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. A bucket of blood, uh, hyssop, like a paintbrush, striking the door frame and the lintel. And that's the way that it was applied in the Passover. But in, in the gospel, Hyssop can be thought of as faith. And faith like hyssop takes the work of Christ on the cross and it applies it to our hearts and so that we own it as our own. And that's what conversion is all about. It's, it's about us through our conviction by the, by the working of God, placing that faith in our hearts. We are convinced that, that on judgment day that we will be declared not guilty justified by that perfect life that Christ lived, the perfect life represented by the blood. And so, and I thought that was interesting. The hyssop itself is like faith, the faith that takes that blood and and applies it to our hearts. So what do we conclude from from this? Oh, there to my heart was the, 
of blood applied. Glory to his name. We have redemption through Christ's blood. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us as much. Um, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And we know that at the time of Passover, God told Moses that unless the blood was seen on the doorposts, the firstborn would die. So there were some that believed the instructions that Moses gave and applied the blood and were saved. And those who did not, they perished. And so according to God's instruction, where the blood was, the angel passed over and uh, the firstborn son lived. Well, the gospel message is sort of similar. It teaches us that unless we believe and have the blood applied to our hearts by faith, we perish. Because God says so. He teach, he's teaching us what, what, uh, what was done at Calvary, the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ, who voluntarily gave his life, laid it down and took it up again. But not only that, he took on human flesh and he lived a life of righteousness. Some theologians like to divide up the righteousness of Christ into the active and the passive. The active being his decisions and the way he lived his life for 33 years, exercising that, ra- that rationality of obedience through his life. And the passive obedience would be him going to, to death to pay the penalty of our sins. But I don't believe that distinction is uh, really important here. The only thing that, that we need to keep in mind is the gospel message itself and to believe. Um, and, and I think that I already read John 3.16, which is the gospel in a nutshell, but two verses away is, is a warning that I would like to close with today just to kind of set forth the gravity of the importance of this decision and the consequences if we reject Christ. And that's John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, not will be condemned, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for teaching us through the Passover and the use of blood that foreshadows the gospel and what was done for us on Calvary. And Father, we we know that in trusting in the work of Christ, that work in which he was made of himself a propitiating sacrifice has made a full satisfaction for our sins. And Father, we're relieved that there's no longer any enmity between a fallen people who are now redeemed and you, because that that enmity that that was there has been removed because of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that we have been reconciled by that blood that speaks of his righteous life. And Father, we pray that, that uh, in this life where we, we live in a society where people don't know you, we pray, Lord, that by the things that we say and do, we can illustrate a real living faith that 
cannot be disputed. And we pray, Lord, that we might live with integrity so that we can communicate the gospel message in its simplicity and its saving efficacy. We know, Lord, that there's nothing that can undo this great salvation that you have uh, made for us. And we rejoice because now we have access to you as our heavenly father and our hearts are changed. We are now co-heirs with Christ of the blessings that come from knowing you. And we thank you for these things in Jesus name. Amen. We do have one more song that uh, I'll ask if they could come up here. But this was one that I really don't know myself, but but others here ha- have uh, known it. So some of you probably know it as well. When I see the blood.
to thank Kirk for this evening, being here with us, and for the message he gave. Uh, we'll ask Kirk to come and close in prayer. But lest I forget, I forgot earlier to mention, some of you saw and met uh, Eric Long with us uh, this morning. He's the, the audiologist that some of you ladies had, uh, I think uh, Bonnie and Evelyn and Joy and Iris. Uh, he was mentioned to us that his wife, Yvonne, had a fall yesterday on the, on the hill, Adnac Hill, Ski Hill, and quite a severe break in her leg. And there was emergency uh, surgery this afternoon. They had to wait for this afternoon. So just remember her in prayer that the Lord would uh, have his good hand upon her for healing. When I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. Let's pray. Father, with great joy, your children are together in, in your house. And Father, we, uh, we thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you that you reached down to us, that you opened our eyes. And having given us faith, Lord, you continue to transform hearts and lives. Lord, help us to hide your word in our heart. Help us to grow thereby. And help us to, uh, to give you praise for all things. You didn't bless us to take us out of the world, but you preserve us while we're in the world to, by your strength, uh, persevere through adversities and give you the glory. And Father, as we go into another week now, Lord, with the challenges that are ahead of us, let us appropriate your strength as we face these challenges. And also, Lord, help us to be salt and light and uh, that we might uh, be able to give the reason for the hope that, that's in us. It doesn't have to be a clever way as long as we live consistently in a way that speaks of you. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.